Hey friends, before we start the show, I just want to remind you that we have a free Myers-Briggs audio tour course on our website. So go to dopamine.life and check that out. There's a button at the top of the page. And if you fill out the details to let me know which personality type you are, and then pick which topic you're interested in, whether that's personality, typology, creativity, or mental health, I'll give you some specific advice through my through signing up for the email to uh, get all sorts of offers and advice and uh, access to exclusive things. So go ahead, dopamine.life and sign up for that stuff right now. Well, not right now. Well, yeah, right now. And then come back and listen to the show. So go do the thing. Hey, everybody, C-Note here and welcome to Dopamine, the show that is fighting crime like Scruff McGruff, Chicago, Illinois, 60652. I think that's the right uh, zip code. I don't remember. Hi. So today on the show, we are going to be talking about the epidemic of loneliness. I've heard this sort of talked about, bandied about in terms of uh, modern society and social media, and there's all sorts of things to point fingers at, but what's really going on? There's quite a few things to break down on this episode of Dopamine, so let's hit the button and do the thing. Let's go. Drums, Hello, friends. C note here. Hi, welcome back. Welcome back to Dopamine. I hope you're doing okay. Hope life is treating you well. I hope you're having a good October so far. October is my favorite month of the year, mostly because of Halloween, but there's just a nice seasonal transition. It's not too cold. It's not too hot. The leaves are changing and uh, it's really just this time of desperation. I love it. My little goth heart loves it. Uh, I don't talk about it a lot, but I, I've always leaned a little bit more towards like the goth punk side as opposed to the emo punk side. I'm definitely a bit of an emo kid, but uh, more so the goth side. I just you can give me a creepy puppet any day of the week uh, as opposed to a sad boy. Uh, I, I would rather like you know i miss you by blink 182 and alkaline trio stuff anything with like a heart with a cross through it <laughs> give me all of that uh it's great adam's family values is probably one of my favorite comedies that probably tells you a lot about me as well and uh, i don't know i just have a lot of morbid humor that i uh, maybe i've brought onto this show i don't know but uh anyway <laughs> um today I'm going to be referencing a little bit from an article from theweek.com. I I just did a like a Google search and I read the article, so I know nothing about this website. I have no affiliations with the website. Blah 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 blah. And it kind of sucks that I feel like I have to say that because if you just kind of uh, accidentally pick a website that everybody hates, then it's going to upset people, and I don't care. <laughs> so I'm going to pick a website that just has good information. Uh, and it's from an article from January, um, 
2019, talking about the epidemic of loneliness. And this is a concept that came to me through really the first time I've heard it sort of put this way was at profiler training in uh, DC earlier this year with my friends, Joel and Antonia at personality hacker. And they sort of ended everything talking about the reasons why they do this. And the reason why I do this podcast also is because there is this kind of feeling of an epidemic of loneliness. There are a lot of people who are really, really sad out there and feel like they're not properly connecting with people or they're starting to realize that they don't have Uh, the connections that they do have with their family or people who are supposed to be their connections in their lives are not really meaningful, valuable connections. And it leads us in a place of searching. Like a lot of us are in this place of searching, searching for help, searching for connection, searching for ways to find out whether or not we're normal or redefining what normal is or means for us. And it's this, it's this, this search that, it feels like we're all going on. So Antonia brought it up and, and was saying that we, that there is this epidemic of loneliness in the world. And one of the reasons that I learned personality typology is it kind of helps me connect with people better. It helps me understand them and have a little bit more patience. Uh, I don't still fully understand a lot of people and their choices, but you know, it, it has allowed me the opportunity to have more patience. And there are things that are kind of missing in our lives. And that's sometimes could be a sense of patience. And, um, you know, there's just, we're kind of in a busier, more hectic world. A lot of us are not very comfortable sitting still and sitting quietly. And maybe we've lost a lot of that ability to be comfortable with ourselves, uh, which is kind of the first thing I really want to f- bring up before I get into the article stuff is, um, you know, before Molly just went out, I asked her and I told her I was going to record this episode and she said, you should tell everyone that uh, part of that is that it's very uncomfortable for a lot of people to sit by themselves. And, And I think that's true. You know, we inundate ourselves with a lot of things. We are watching YouTube videos all the time. We're reading, we're, uh, we're listening to podcasts. We're not always sitting by ourselves unless we're in the shower. And even then you might have music on, right? So we're not really comfortable sitting in our own minds and, you know, for me, I, I, I don't particularly feel lonely. I think I've had disconnections plenty in my life and I've felt lonely in my life. Um, but the more I've become comfortable with who I am and comfortable with myself being a version of normal, essentially, um, you know, I don't feel that sense of loneliness so much anymore, but I also literally have a really, really great partner that, um, keeps me from feeling a sense of loneliness. I sometimes can feel very disconnected from uh, the community of Rochester and business owners and artists. And uh, sometimes because of the way that I scrutinize or the way that I judge people, my form of judgment or my form of uh, trying to evaluate people is through sort of evaluating their competence. And that's something that is part of my personality and I can't help that so much. Um, I'm still working on doing that in a more helpful way, but when I am evaluating someone's competencies and especially getting to know people over time, once you get to know people, you start to see their flaws and then you have to get comfortable with what their flaws are and then evaluate what their flaws are, right? You hear that kind of in the dating world all the time, this idea that people are uh, younger people in particular are dismissing people because one wrong thing comes up and they're just like, oh, this guy's got a weird... Piggy, 
I, I can't do that. I can't be with someone that's got a weird pinky or this person. Uh, he watches, uh, he watches this TV show that I don't like and I don't, I can't do, he watches game of Thrones. I can't, nope. That's just a weird show. I can't do it. Or, uh, this person likes the color blue, screw the color blue. Nope. Can't do it. (laughs) You know, I think we find all sorts of reasons to push people away and we don't really realize that we're doing it ourselves. You know, I'm not here to say that it's to, that we are completely to blame, in situations like the epidemic of loneliness. But I've learned through all of the IT work that I've done in my life that 95% of the problems are user error. So if there's an epidemic of loneliness, it's probably our fault. It's probably something that we're not doing or that we are doing that is causing some sort of issue in our lives. And we may not even be aware of how much we repel people. I I think that's a challenge in realizing how we may be doing that. Sometimes on purpose, maybe we're dealing with traumas. Maybe we are not holding space for people, not giving them room to show the full breadth of who they are. And therefore, we just kind of push them away or we create these distances with shallow criteria and not creating enough space. I I just saw this morning, I didn't read the article about it, but I saw this morning about Ellen DeGeneres at like a baseball game with George W. Bush and the internet was, was a blaze (laughs) with people saying like, what? She's supposed to be on our side. She's one of the gays. She's not supposed to be hanging out with him. Republican man. And that's, uh, uh, that's silly. That's silly to begin with. But, um, just the idea that you can't hold two disparate things in one hand, I think can create a mass sense of loneliness and frustration with the idea that you, uh, you can't not only for your own personal values, feel like you can't be friends with someone who disagrees with you on something, uh, or has done something that maybe you don't agree with on a larger scale, but the content of their character is fine. The whole idea, I think, of like getting to know people is to judge them by the content of their character, MLK, all of that stuff. And um, really understanding that it is possible to be friends with someone who is, you know, it's not like it's not like everyone's constantly spouting their political beliefs or constantly spouting their religious beliefs. There are some people that do that. Yes. But. Uh, like some people genuinely feel like if they sort of don't have that fundamental value, then they can't be partners. They can't be friends. They can't be business partners. They can't have any affiliation with someone who has any disparate connection. And I think that's preposterous. I, I think that is a frustration of, I mean, that's if, if you're, if you're feeling a sense of loneliness and not working on that part of your life, then that's why I'm saying that part is your fault. (laughs) And I'm not victim blaming here because you're not the victim. (laughs) That's why I say it this way, because loneliness is not always a victimhood thing, right? We can put ourselves into a victim place, but there is situations where we know when we are limiting our access to other people, whether maybe we're an introvert and we don't go out. If you don't go out, you're not going to be meeting new people and you're not going to feel 
any better about the connections that you're making. And that's kind of your fault, right? If you're an extrovert and you are constantly busy, 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 but so busy that you're only sharing maybe your thoughts or maybe you're not actually connecting with people and just on the go all the time that, you know, if you're not making a genuine connection or you're not slowing down to take stock in the relationships that you have, then you're not probably going to feel a genuine connection with anyone. And that's going to feel like you're navigating the world in a lonely way. I've had plenty of challenges with feeling lonely in my life, largely due in part to a, my mental illness and feeling like I, you know, you know, your own stuff and I own, I know my own issues and therefore it's easy to assume that nobody else deals with these issues because you can't hear the voices in someone else's head. So it's really easy to just get into this place of feeling like, Oh no, it's me. (laughs) I'm the broken one. (laughs) No. (laughs) And, um, you know, that, that feels terrible. And, you know, I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with feeling that way, but there's a difference between feeling something and then doing something about it. And it's just generally hard for me to feel bad about that. Uh, it makes me sound like a cold jerk, (laughs) but if you're not trying, that's on you. That's all I'm saying. And it's okay for it to be on you. That's not, again, I'm not calling you like the bad guy or the villain or like, you know, a wuss or anything. It's just a call. It's just tough love. It's just a call for you to look at yourself and say, okay, you know what? He's kind of right. I, I, these are the times when I limit myself and limiting yourself is very different than setting boundaries. We've talked about boundaries a million times. Like you have to set boundaries as to like what your connections are. But but then also evaluating whether or not something is petty. <laughs> and sometimes you need to ask other people and get that feedback to say like is this is this petty? Does this make sense to have this as a boundary? Because sometimes people can go in one direction or another. Right? You can say you can really confuse yourself and and say that like man, this, I think I'm overthinking this when it's really something that's an extreme boundary that you should be setting or feeling the other way around where you're feeling like you are being, uh, too open. And you know, you're like, I just, I want to accept everyone in my life. And you know, that, that doesn't work either, right? (laughs) Everything's a fine balance. It's not really all that easy. So, that's kind of what I'm getting at with sort of like that isolation piece and feeling a sense of personal loneliness. Cause like you can feel lonely and it can absolutely be a challenge of, uh, of you. Another challenge is your life circumstance. And that could absolutely genuinely be an issue. You know, it's hard for me to get around with my ankle and I also have my license suspended right now. So that's a challenge. And I understand that many people have, you know, a wide range of challenges, including mental health, mental illness, and being able to explain that or being able to talk to someone about that, you know, and wanting to connect with someone on a level that's maybe not what you perceive as shallow, right? A lot of us are comfortable with small talk, some of us are very much not, and we don't want to do that. So wanting to connect with someone has maybe more specific criteria. And that's valid, too. Right? So finding some sort of middle ground, because often, I find that most people don't really like small talk. I I find that people just want to get to like something that's meaty and personal, but you use small talk as a little bit of a dance to kind of figure out what you can talk about. 
right? You can't just like go up to someone and be like, you know, I heard you went through a divorce. Tell me everything. And you're like, I don't know you. What are you asking me that for? <laughs> you know, you can't just launch into it. That's not fair and not appropriate. So there's all sorts of, uh, all sorts of reasons why we might not feel very good about our place in the world. And, um, one of those can also feel, be a sense of isolation in relation to the internet and feeling like there's just FOMO, you know, fear of missing out. There's like so much going on and you feel like your life is boring and you can fall into a comparison-itis sort of place. And it's really easy to do that too. And again, I also understand um, how that can be a challenge. You know, this year when, when San Diego Comic-Con happened, I went for seven years and I missed it. And I felt like I was not with my people at that time. And it can be really frustrating to feel that feeling, right? So I think very much in the sense of like anxiety or stress, like long-term loneliness is not good for you. Short-term loneliness can be a beacon, right? It can be an understanding of like, okay, it's like another emotion check-in of like, okay, what is this? What, what am I feeling? what can I do to remedy, remedy this? Right. And, or what can I do to get someone to commiserate with or talk to or work through this? You know, how can I at least acknowledge the emotion that I'm feeling regardless of what it is, but in the place of loneliness, like that's really where it's at is understanding that loneliness can be fixable. It's not something that is just like, because you're a loser, like that's not, like there's 7.5 billion people out there. You can find another loser. (laughs) Like there will be another one that you will connect to. And, uh, you know, don't worry about it again. I'm ribbing a lot, but really the idea here is that like, I do care and appreciate people and I want people to be able to connect and learning how you connect is really a big part of that. Uh, Learning how you, how you tick. And that's what I mean by, uh, and I'm pretty sure that's what Molly means by taking time to get to know your mind and get comfortable in your own mind. Because if you don't know yourself, if you're not doing that honest, deep work for yourself, how are you going to find the people that you want to genuinely connect to? You can have all sorts of shallow relationships in your life because you don't know yourself. You don't know who you really are. Maybe you get into a religion that doesn't really sit with you. And then you're surrounded by people who are religious and you're like, this doesn't feel right. And then you have to leave and you're left with nothing or you have a situation where you are in a location or with a partner, you know, you end up marrying someone who doesn't really resonate with who you are because you didn't go through your own personal hero's journey and figure out, you know, your path. Maybe you didn't go to college. Maybe you didn't go through your graves red experience of kind of fooling around and figuring stuff out and making a mess, you know, and then you kind of jumped into things and, and now you kind of feel a little resentful, right? So it's, there's a lot of things that stem from taking time to slow down and get to know yourself and feeling a sense of you being with yourself is not a lonely experience. You're with your body, you're with your mind, you are with the neurons firing, you are not by yourself, you are embracing and connecting with the sentience of your existence. Okay, we are back. Welcome back to the show. I hope you're doing well. 
and, uh, and, and you made it through that either ad break or the 10 seconds of the music. Thanks for being back. So I, I want to read a little bit of this article and then kind of make some comments as I go along. Um, so this is written by The Week. Um, looks like it's just uh, attributed to the staff of The Week. So no particular person that wrote this, but I, I think it's a good article. If you look up, if you just Google an epidemic of loneliness, then that's pretty much what's going to come up first. So nearly half of all Americans today say they feel they are lonely. So why is that so? And why, what are the consequences? Here's everything you need to know. So we're going to start by defining loneliness. And um, so I wanted to get through those first points because that was like really what I wanted to say about this. And, and I think this article covers quite a bit. Um, and the things that we're going to talk about is defining loneliness, defining the impact, uh, defining how that affects physical health. Um, what is isolation? Why are people feeling this way? And um, the effect of partisan politics on all of this. So it's a pretty quick article. So we'll just kind of go through it. So how is loneliness defined? Loneliness isn't determined by the actual number of friends or social contacts a person has. Social science researchers define loneliness as the emotional state created when people have fewer social contacts and meaningful relationships than they would like. Relationships that make them feel known and understood. Those are two important words, known and understood. Essentially, if you feel lonely, you are lonely. One out of two Americans now falls into this category. In a recent study of 20,000 people in the by the health insurance company Cigna, about 47% of respondents reported often feeling alone or left out. 13% said that there were zero people who knew them well. The U.S. is not quite unique in this respect. Loneliness is reaching epidemic levels throughout the development, developed world. 41% of Britons say that... Um, Brightons, that's weird, it's spelled weird, B-R-I-T-O-N-S, say the TV or a pet... Oh, yeah, Britons, okay. Um, or, or a pet is their main source of company. And the UK has created a cabinet-level minister to deal with the problem of rampant loneliness. A government study in Japan found that more than half a million people spent a at least six months at home with no outside contact. During many years caring for patients, the most common pathology I saw was not heart disease or diabetes, said former U.S. Surgeon General Vivek Murthy. It was loneliness. And... It, like those are important points, especially when it comes to like the, having a pet or TV is that we kind of develop relationships with characters on TVs in, in our mind or our pets. And we do that with people on social media all the time, people that we follow. But it's kind of the same way that I talk about when it comes to extroversion, when I'm talking about Myers-Briggs stuff is that the phone is not a replacement for extroversion. Like aspects of extroversion is about actual genuine connection, like you're reading body language, you're getting to know the tone of someone's voice, you're listening to the inflections, the changes, the way that they move through space. Um, there are all sorts of ways that people interact with each other and have genuine neuron connections that allow for us to really genuinely experience the extroverted experience. So for introverts, like that is important to get outside. And for extroverts, it is important to genuinely look for and notice things when you are out into the world, but then also taking time to slow down. And I don't think there's any coincidence here that it's 50% of people that feel lonely. Like there's, that's huge. That's a big number. And I think that's large, large high in part to the idea 
that we just don't understand ourselves. I just, I just, I think that's the case. What impact does loneliness have? It makes people sick. As 2010 study by Brigham Young University found that light loneliness shortens a person's life by 15 years, about the same impact as being obese or making or smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Other studies have found uh, connections between loneliness and a wide range of risk uh, for heart attacks, stroke, and cancer. Lonely people are more likely to suffer from insomnia, depression, and drug abuse. They're also more likely to suffer from a rapid con uh, cognitive decline in old age. Now, something to consider, and I don't know if this is in line with any of the research, but there was a TED Talk around uh, stress and saying that more people actually died from stress when they believed that stress would kill them more than the stress itself, <laughs> which is really interesting. Um and I think that might be the case with loneliness. I think there is a lot more, there's a lot of, there's a high perception of loneliness plus a high idea that loneliness is going to kill them, that they're going to die alone and it's going to be sad. It's going to be morbid. It's going to be the worst thing. Instead of getting comfortable with the idea that no matter what you do, you are going to die alone. So <laughs> it's, you know, it's, um, it's, it's, it's a, it's a long road to get to that point, but the idea here is once we sort of open up our minds to greater connections, we have the opportunity to actually connect to ourselves and other people a little bit more. I know that's vague and woo-woo and abstract, but that's all I got for that. <laughs> um, why is physical health affected? Uh, stress, mostly, and the feeling of loneliness, scientists say, is, is an evolutionary phenomenon. Just as hunger encourages animals to find food, loneliness forces humans to seek out the protection of the group, increasing the chances of survival. To produce this behavior, loneliness triggers the release of stress hormones, particularly cortisol, in small doses. These hormones help make solitary humans more alert to danger, but they damage health if the body is exposed to them over long periods of time. Stress leads to high blood pressure, increased inflammation, and a weakened immune system. Without an emotional support network, lonely people are also more likely to slip into unhealthy habits, such as substance abuse, overeating, and not exercising. For seniors, isolation can be especially deadly in the event of an emergency like a bad fall or a heart attack. Denying you feel lonely makes no more sense than denying you feel hungry, said John T. Cacciapo, a neuroscience who studied loneliness at the University of Chicago. And I, I, I think that's a really great comparison of hunger to loneliness. And it's really like the same thing with mental health. When you're not feeling well, you address it, right? When you're feeling sick, you take medicine when, or, and you get some rest. And, you know, when you're feeling mentally ill, you need to address that as, as a physical illness because it is. And the same thing with a sense of loneliness. The loneliness, like any other emotional disease, really, feels abstract and it doesn't feel like it's something that is solvable or worth solving or that you're the only one experiencing it. Therefore no one else is going to understand your experience, but it takes that one moment of reaching out when most likely you'll realize that people who are in your circle are really wanting to connect with you and they want to reach out to you. And there are so many opportunities to connect with people online um, the show Catfish has seven seasons. There's a reason for that. <laughs> like there's uh, all sorts of um, uh, opportunities to meet people in your community online. Uh, there are chat rooms and groups for everybody. There are Facebook groups for everybody. There are Twitter people talking about the things that you want to talk about. But then that honest human connection is really 
the thing. So it's like about taking those relationships beyond the internet and actually meeting people. And that's like the show catfish is really interesting because that there are people who will go three, five, 10 years without meeting the person that they're supposed to be talking to and connecting to. And then they find out it's not the right person. And then you feel deceived and you don't feel like you actually connected with them, right? It's this false sense of connection. And I think there's this sense of fear that if they met that person, that the person wouldn't like them and all. It takes bravery. It takes bravery is what I'm saying. All right. Um, <laughs> it takes a, it definitely takes a sense of bravery to put yourself out there. And if you don't want to feel lonely again, like that's kind of on you to take that step. And I know it's fearful. I know it's scary. And I know it's not easy. There are traumas typically associated with it. It's not as easy as me just telling you to do it. But if you need to go to therapy, you can connect with your therapist too, or, you know, find a way to connect with like your local barista and just have those little meetings with someone, not try to get too personal, make them uncomfortable. That's not what I'm saying. But there are certainly people that you can ask, like, hey, like, let's go get a drink or something. I don't know. You can at least try. Rejection is going to come with it. Like people are not always going to want to connect with you for their own reasons, but it's not usually about you. And sometimes that fear of rejection is what is keeping people from wanting to reach out and actually connect with people. And I totally understand that. So it's important for your health to nurture your sense of connection. And I think that's really the sort of the common theme here is that it's, it's healthy and important for you. It's like going to the gym. It's about eat. It's like eating. You have to, this is an important core value of the human experience. And it's really, really important. Um, so the next question here is, is isolation more common? It appears to be between 1985 and 2009, the average American social network shrank by more than one third defined by the number of close confidants. One reason for this is the aging of baby boomers who had fewer children and more divorces than their parents, leaving many without companions in their old age. About 1 in 11 Americans age 50 or older doesn't have a spouse, romantic partner, or living child. That's roughly 8 million people. 1 in 6 boomers lives alone. The increasing transient nature of work is also making people lonely, as Americans leave family and hometowns behind in search of paychecks. Surprisingly, young people are actually more at risk, most at risk of being lonely in modern society. In the Cygnus study, Generation Z members, 18 to 22, and Millennials, 23 to 37, scored the highest for loneliness. That's a big range, 23 to 37 for a gen. <laughs> okay. Um, either way. Uh, yeah, the... the I mean, I, I don't talk about boomers too much because I don't have that personal experience, but it does seem that way, that there are plenty of boomers who are living alone and, and maybe not addressing their loneliness for pride reasons. I don't know what it might be. Uh, it can be harder for them to connect. It can be harder for anyone to connect today. Again, I think social media creates this feeling of synthetic connection and we don't really get the actual hit that we actually need. I think for me, having mental illness and having mania, I know that when I'm seeking a dopamine hit, that I'm not actually getting it when I'm scrolling through social media. It's actually making me feel worse. And I think my extreme example is representative of the average person's example, but you don't feel it as starkly as I do. So it's really important to make sure that you are disciplining yourself to be able to go actually see people in person. And I'm trying to do that more myself as well. 
And I keep harping on that because that's really what this all comes down to. Why are so many young people lonely? Americans are getting married and having children later in life. There are now more single people in the U.S. than any, at any time in the past 140 years. Not being part of a regular workplace also plays a role, with freelancers and gig economy workers reporting higher levels of loneliness. And despite seemingly infinite opportunities to connect online, social media may actually be making the problem worse. Scrolling through an endless stream of curated photos of parties, vacations, family gatherings, and weddings may increase feelings of being left out or dissatisfaction with the one's own life. In one study of Americans aged 19 to 32, the top 25% of social media users were twice as likely to report feeling lonely as people using it at least, using at least. Some researchers say loneliness began becoming widespread long before the internet, when the Industrial Revolution broke up tightly knit agricultural communities. I do think it speaks to the to one of the dilemmas of modern mobile society, said Stephanie Kuntz, a historian at Evergreen State College. As we gain the freedom to become whatever we want to be, we've lost the sense of belonging. And belonging is is so important. Um you think about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, which is an episode I've done a few episodes ago. Um, and the sort of the basement of needs is making sure that you have a sense of safety and security and, you know, your basic needs are met. You have a roof over your head, you have food and stuff like that. And I think a lot of people are struggling a lot more than we really give it credit for in this day and age. And that makes people, it makes it a challenge because we're trying to find, more work. We're trying to find satisfying work. We're trying to find work that makes us happy, that we're not just sitting on a cubicle, doing things in our own terms. But doing things in our own terms means doing things on our own, which means that we have to also seek companionship on our own. I talk about all the time in my press start on messaging brand messaging course, that when we are basically when we are escaping the sort of realities of society, meaning we are trying to build a life for ourselves in some sort of way, that it can be a challenge to let go of the structures that we were born into, meaning that a lot of us can be a little bit spoiled in ways that we don't realize that we're spoiled. And what I mean by that is that we, we grew up with like family units um, where a lot is provided for us. Uh, some, plenty of us have that opportunity and or we're in a job where, you know, coworkers are kind of coming and going and we don't have to actually do the work to find friends or school has a situation where like classmates are shown up for us. And now we, we have people that we have access to, or we're forced to work in groups and then you kind of accidentally make friends in college. That might be the case as well, but not as much. And then afterwards you go into the workforce and, you know, you might have the same kind of thing. You sort of get together with coworkers. But when you start to work on your own, you start to become a freelancer or an entrepreneur. You're trying to start your own business or you're trying to do Uber and Lyft or DoorDash or trying to deliver food. Like you're spending a lot more time on your own. You don't have, quote unquote, coworkers. So I know a lot of people reach out to people on message boards to try to connect with other drivers, for instance, with Uber and Lyft. And... um you know, it's, it's up to us to look for other people who are in our niche to connect to. So we have to actively look for, which is not something we're used to doing and look for people that we need to connect with. So, you know, that could be like you were born into a religious group and now maybe you're not in that anymore, or you're trying to build a life in a different way and you need to find different people that have slightly different values. And we're just kind of used to the 
everything coming to us. And I don't think we think about that as much as we do, at least not in that context of, of all of the things that we've grown up with, with when it comes to people. And, you know, there's all these articles out there about like, why is it so hard to make friends after 30? Because we're used to having the opportunity to make friends before then when in other circumstances, either we're working, we're looking for love, we're looking for friends uh, in school, or we're trying to survive school, and we're trying to survive work, or it involves cooperation, and you have to. And now you're in a place where you don't have to, but you still need to. And that requires a different skill set that requires you to actively learn how to uh, connect with people to make friends and have the desire and willingness to for your own sake and your own health. So that's like a completely different ball game. And it's just this level of personal accountability and responsibility that we're just not used to having. So we have to take that and do that for ourselves. And it would make sense that boomers are doing it a little bit later in life. Some boomers will might be having that issue later in life because that's when they're retired and maybe they're just, they don't have those connections after retirement uh, because they're used to having those connections at work or when in like, you know, family environments that are kind of dwindling or people are moving. Right. So another thing they mentioned here is that people are, are working and moving for a paycheck and trying to find work in different places. Particularly I can see millennials doing that, like going to coastal cities to try to, find a better sense of, uh, work and meaning and purpose. And that's more of a generational thing to consider, but, but really it's like, this is the sort of the life circumstance that we're all having to consider is that this is, this is just what's happening. And there is a bit of, so I, I've been thinking a lot about spiral dynamics and there is uh, which I did an episode on as well. Uh, if you search for it, I'm sure it's in there <laughs> and, uh, when you go back and uh, there's a point where like four blue basically explains sort of like government structure and society and millennials and younger generations still have a bit of a, a, an adverse reaction to four blue, whether they're in it or not. And at least the modern society version of it. And it makes it really hard to, uh, to, to connect, to continue to get into this idea of going, further into that cycle, like we're ending that cycle a little sooner of having the opportunity to connect with people genuinely, because we're not spending as much time at jobs. Like I have, I've personally had multiple jobs, um, multiple good jobs, but I haven't really maintained those connections. And I definitely take ownership for that. And I sometimes feel really terrible about that. But I never connected with those people uh, in, a, in a bigger picture, long term way. And I think that's a challenge of, you know, feeling like there are options, there are more connections, same thing with online dating, there is like, ah, well, these people don't work, I can find other people somewhere else, <laughs> you know, and maybe that's it, maybe it's a paradox of choice that we get kind of caught up in as well. Um, so when I was mentioning Maslow's hierarchy of needs, there's a section of it that refers to love and belonging. And so all of that basically leads to the idea if we are not getting our basic needs met, then we're not likely to connect with the love and belonging piece. So making sure that we have a roof over our head that we're well taken care of leads to the love and belonging. If we were constantly on the go, we're constantly feeling stressed about our life circumstance, maybe not settling down, um, not able to save money, things like that. It would make sense that we're not connecting in a loving and belonging way as much. And especially in relation to the agricultural 
stuff. Like you kind of have to, again, work in close quarters groups, whereas now there's like a paradox of choice. And it's just so nice when you do end up finding people that you can connect with and have in-person relationships with, because there's just no comparison. You know, like you, you can talk with people on Twitter all day and night, and it just doesn't compare to putting your phone down and talking with people in person about books and art and philosophy and life and sharing a meal together and having all of those connections. That's incredibly valuable. And I know that there is opportunity for you out there to do that. You just have to actually search for it. And maybe that's the problem that we don't want to search for it. <laughs> um, so this last section is about, um, politics and the partisan nature nature of you know kind of the world these days so alone angry and intensely partisan some researchers believe that america's increasingly polarized politics and partisan viciousness on social media may be at least partly the product of increasing loneliness psychiatrist richard s schwartz and dr jacqueline olds describe loneliness as the elephant in the room of American politics. Social isolation, they say, makes people less empathetic and more likely to view the world in terms of us versus them. I think comparing notes in a civil way is the antidote to a polarized society in which we don't understand a point of view other than our own, Old says. If we are so lonely that we have no one to compare notes with, we tend to become more polarized, said Republican Senator Ben Sasse of Nebraska believes that Americans are turning to political tribalism for the sense of community they used to get from simple connections to those around them. The local human relationships that anchored politics, pol political talk has shriveled up, Sasse writes in his new book, uh, Them, Why We Hate Each Other and How to Heal. Alienated from each other and uprooted from places we call home were reduced to shrieking. And I, I think there's something to be said about that, about the, again, the ability to kind of like commiserate with each other. It doesn't exactly nurture growth and understanding and really create the opportunity to actually have dialogue with the person that we're complaining about and giving the person to whether that's political person or like someone who said something on Twitter that maybe we misinterpreted that we're not giving someone the opportunity to explain themselves and really hear what they have to say about something and being able to give each other an opportunity for connection to be honest about where we're at and what we need to articulate our challenges, our emotions, and to create the opportunity for eventually landing in a place of opportunity, joy, optimism, connection, relationships, bonding, all of those are things that we need to continue to nurture for ourselves and with each other. And that involves a lot of patience and that involves for the ability to not just agree to disagree, because I don't think that helps either, but to prosper and let prosper to really hear someone and really help each other grow. That's like the point of disagreeing because there's just a disparity. There's something that, we don't understand about the other person's experience. And usually there's something valuable in there about understanding someone else's experience. It's not something that's probably going to change your life, but you can have more empathy and you can expand your circle of connection. You expand your circle of inspiration. 
of new people in your lives, of new people, new opportunities for you to properly just add to your repertoire of teachers in your life. Right. And I think we continue to teach, treat people as, as villains in our lives. And it's kind of making us feel like the victim. And I think a lot of the time being in a place of victimhood keeps us in a lonely place, whether that's, you know, not allowing ourselves to go out and meet new people or, or blaming other people or being scared of the outside world as if there's a boogie monster around the corner every time we go outside. And that's simply not the case either. If you have some serious challenges, maybe you have lost a lot of family members. Maybe there are some physical challenges. You know, there are going to be steps that you need to take to be able to do that stuff more often. But taking any step that you can is incredibly valuable and important for your growth and your future as well. And, you know, I, I, that doesn't mean that I don't have sympathy or empathy for the challenges that people, people face. But I do know that a lot of the time, it's just us. We are blaming social media all the time for making us worse than we are. It's not true. Social media doesn't make you do anything. It is not a sentient thing. It is just an opportunity. It is a tool that we are using, and we just happen to be using it to shout at each other instead of loving each other. So that ends this episode. I appreciate you guys for being here. I hope you learned something. I hope you thought about something. Uh, I hope this really just makes you consider your sense of self, because I think getting to know yourself is really the antidote for all of this, getting comfortable with who you are and scrutinizing yourself and then forgiving yourself for things that you've said about yourself or to others in the past is also a great way of, of making space for other people. Because I think a lot of the time we're projecting when we don't realize that we're projecting and just finding the opportunity to, to love ourselves first will give us a greater opportunity to love others. So, okay. That's the final thought, <laughs> my Jerry Springer final thought. Um, so I appreciate you guys. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you want to sign up for the dopamine newsletter, which has all sorts of great opportunities for you to take the free Myers-Briggs course, you can go to dopamine.life and click the button at the top of the page. And there's a free Myers-Briggs course there. You can sign up to get that free course, which is a great way of starting to get to know people and not feeling uh, as lonely. And then there is all sorts of other specific things for uh, potentially for your specific personality type, depending on whether or not I actually finished it. And there are things uh, depending on which box you check, whether it's creativity, personality, typology, or mental health, you get kind of specific emails that will give you sort of reference points and opportunities for beginning your growth journey. So go ahead at dopamine.life and uh, check that stuff out. And I also have articles on there and past episodes and all of that fun stuff. So if you want to hit me up, I am C-Note. My name is Christian Rivera. I'm a digital producer. So you can go to Let's Go C-Note at all of the social channels, whether that's Instagram, Twitter, which are the two places I spend the most of my time, but also Facebook if you want to, if you're feeling masochistic, and <laughs> join me there. And um, yeah, that's all I got for now. So I'm going to click the button and turn off the thing, but I appreciate you guys. Thanks for being here. Take care of yourselves and each other. And I'll catch you next time on Dopamine. See ya.
Hey, you beautiful human. Thanks for listening to Dopamine and providing your support for this show. I really, really appreciate it. If you really love this show, leave a review on iTunes and Stitcher to show some love for the podcast. You can also check out cnote.media to check out my work and my courses. But um, with that, we'll catch you next time. See you guys later. Later.